Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the gift of life you've given us in Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice on the cross, for the hope of his resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have that we can share with the world. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Waiting for that to stop. Okay, there we go. So all of us are familiar with the phrase, the honeymoon is over. You plan for months for the big event. The event happens, you go on the honeymoon, and then back to reality. But this doesn't include just honeymoons. I think honeymoons and weddings, all of us struggle with reentry at times in our lives. You see, when we have a big vacation or holiday or a big event or maybe even a tragedy in the family, stressful day at work, it can be tough for us to go back to the day-to-day realities of life. Reentry can be very difficult. In a few of my sermons, and if you've been involved with my youth group over the years, I love to tell stories about my brief time on the Appalachian Trail. So much so that this is probably the last story I can use from this trip because I've used them all at this point. But it just fits so well with this sermon. So uh, years ago, right before seminary, I lived in southwest Virginia. And uh, I wasn't married yet. I had a dog named Bodie. And I decided to go on a four-day trip on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, it was going to be great. And being the person I am, my wife will will, uh, tell you, Everybody I met on the trail, I asked them a lot of questions. I always tell her I'm gathering intel, you know, so, and I'm sure they were trying to have a peaceful trail. And I'd ask them questions like, why are you hiking the trail? Because these were through hikers. They were the real deal, unlike me. They were doing the entire trail. And I'd ask them questions, why are you, uh, you know, on the trail? And the second question I ask them is, what are you going to do when you get off the trail? And when I would ask them that question, nine times out of ten, There was a blankness in their eyes. They didn't really know. They were all struggling with this reentry. See, they all had different reasons for going on the trail. Many of them had lost jobs at the time, and they were just going kind of to find themselves on the trail. But the reentry, I could tell, was kind of terrifying for them. But not for me. I had peace. I was just doing it four days, and I had a buddy picking me up, and I had about a week before I left for Vancouver, Canada. And I was going to have a nice, relaxing time for a few days at home before I had to pack and have a nice meal with some friends. So my friend picks me up in his pickup truck, and uh, I smelled really bad. I hadn't taken a shower in four days, but he let me inside the pickup truck. But the dog, unfortunately, had to go in the back. And my dog, being hyper what he was, was running back and forth, barking at imaginary things as we drove down this road. My friend started driving faster and faster. He was going 60 miles an hour When Bodhi all of a sudden got so excited, went to one side and fell over and started rolling down the road. I'm freaking out. My heart drops so much for my peace, right? As we're stopping the car, we look and there's Bodhi running beside the car, blood all over his face. And it almost looked like he had a smile on his face. I take him to the vet. The vet's like, well, he may have a concussion, but I really don't see any, like, big lacerations. And, uh, you know, charged me a couple hundred bucks to tell me that. And 
But he said, just keep an eye on him. So for the next few days, uh, I did not have peace. I kept, you know, checking my dog, making sure his eyes weren't dilated. I, I really didn't know what I was doing, but he was fine. See, I tell you that story because I think for all of us, when it comes to reentry, after big things we do, it can be very, very difficult. We all struggle with facing reality at times. We try and escape our everyday lives through vacations, our work, relationships. I had a friend when I was in my 20s, and he's what I call a serial dater. He was always trying to find that perfect woman, and it never really happened for him. He'd always find something wrong with everybody. Then he'd go on to the next person, the next person. We're all trying to tell him that the problem was him, but he didn't want to hear it, right? (laughs) And not just relationships. We escape from the realities through sometimes our phones, mindlessly surfing the Internet, finding useless information. We struggle with busyness, anything to uh, keep us distracted from the realities of everyday life. And sometimes this can lead to more destructive things in our lives. Drug addiction, alcoholism, pornography, rage, anger, all these things that are kind of boiling over that prevent us from really being present in the lives of those who are closest to us. The late author Walter Percy in his book Lost in the Cosmos discusses people's unsuccessful voyage to escape from themselves and attempt to find themselves. He talks about an astronomer, and this guy was brilliant in his field, but his wife divorced him because she said when he came home after studying all these brilliant things, he wouldn't talk to her. He wouldn't talk to the kids, and he demanded to be treated like a king. The marriage didn't last long. You see, he had trouble orbiting back to Earth coming back to the realities of everyday life. English actor and comedian Russell Brand hits the nail on the head with the human condition, and he says this, Drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. At least love is honesty. He recognizes that he has a problem. So what about us? How can we live and thrive in the realities of our everyday lives rather than trying to escape them? How can we fill that hole that so often plagues humanity? Well, the good news this morning, as we look at John the Baptist and Jesus, we're going to see a pattern for us as believers that will help us to escape from our lives of sin and rebellion to God by drawing us to the main event, and that is Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we encounter Christ through this main event, we can re-enter our world and our everyday lives and be present for people because we have the strength of the Holy Spirit to become the people of God who are ambassadors of hope for a world that so desperately needs it. So today we're faced with John the Baptist, this curious character, He's in all four of the Gospels. You know he's important. And if you've been a part of our Reframe Bible study, which I know several of you have, one of my former professors, Rick Watts, really uh, brings John the Baptist to light. He makes the connection about why John the Baptist was so important, why he was the link that connects Jesus to Israel's history. So I'm going to summarize for a little bit his message on John the Baptist. You see, the history at the time, the Jews had returned from exile It had been 400 years since they returned, but not all of them were in Israel. Some of them were still scattered. 
There was no promised Davidic king. Instead, they were ruled by the Romans. And they began to ask their questions. Where was God in all this? Where were the, where were the promise of restoration? The temple was a shadow of what it was. It were, Israel was hardly even noticed. It was a blip on the map. It was unimportant to the world. The prophet Malachi, the last of the great writing prophets, reminded Israel it wasn't God who had let them down. They're the ones who have been disobedient. They have been uh, sacrificing sick animals. They haven't been giving their best as far as that went. They were divorcing. There was evil in the land. They had made their own bed in a sense. But they all had this hope from the Old Testament that one day God would send a messenger, someone like Elijah, to prepare people for God's arrival. And in comes John the Baptist, dressed like Elijah, I'll mind you, crazy clothes, eating honey and locust. And he was baptizing people, taking them through the water and telling them about this coming Messiah. He was reenacting the exodus for these people so they could leave their lives of slavery from sin and have a new reality. You see, normally baptism was just for new converts to the Jewish faith. But John the baptism, John the Baptist was drawing out Jews as well. This was not the norm, but I believe these people were looking for change, escaping from their mundane, comfortable lives to go into the desert, to be baptized by John, to be cleansed from their sins. They, yes, were reenacting their personal exodus. But this time they weren't escaping Egypt into a new land. They were leaving Israel. These Jewish believers were being cleansed so they could become God's people and be ready and prepared for when the Messiah came. And then it happens. Jesus comes. The main event. John the Baptist's purpose to, uh, to bring about the Messiah, to prepare people for him, happens. It says, uh, when Jesus came, John said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is baptized, him, baptized the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and a voice from heaven says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You see, Jesus' baptism was different. Rather than confessing his sins, God confesses who he is. This is the son. This is the savior who who I'm well pleased with. See, Jesus is the new Adam. He's the new hope for Israel and the whole world. And after he's baptized, he goes out in the desert for 40 days. And as Rick Watts reminds us, just like the people in the Exodus went out into the land for 40 days trying to get to the promised land. But Jesus, as the Son of God, did not sin. And after his time in the desert, he goes to the people. Rather than leaving and going to other place, he re-enters into his community, into Israel, and begins to share his ministry of redemption and reconciliation. In his kingdom, rather than being about a coercion, forcing people to join, it's about love. It's about trust. He gets 12 disciples, which reminds us in the Old Testament about the 12 tribes that went into the new land. These 12 disciples later become apostles, and it was through them that the church was built. And Jesus' movement of reconciliation and redemption began to grow and spread. So John the Baptist is crucial for us understanding who Jesus is and his connection to Israel's history. 
So what does that mean for us today in 2017? Here in Advent, at our church, here on Hilton Head Island, as we're getting ready for Christmas, preparing for Jesus' birth and for his second coming. Well, we are called to an escape. But it's not an escape, escape through addictions or drugs or mindlessly staring at our phone. We're called to escape from the reality and bondage of sin in our lives. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Isaiah 53.6, the prophet prophesied this. He said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. And then the main event happened. It happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on a cross so that we could have access to a relationship with God. And for our main event today, for each and every one of us individually, is to make that decision to trust in what Christ did on the cross. See, this is the ultimate rescue. When Paul writes the Colossians, he says, He has taken us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. But in order to access this, we have to believe. We can't just passively be a bystander. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when we do this, when this main event becomes our main event in life, we wake up. We don't just exist. We become fully alive. Not in an existential look-at-me kind of way. We become alive to what God is doing, and we participate in his ministry of redemption and reconciliation. St. Arrhenius writes this, The glory of God is human being fully alive, and to be alive consists in beholding God. So this eternal life that he promised us is a quality of life, of not just existing, but being fully alive and participating, again, in this ministry of redemption and reconciliation with a world that so often as Russell uh, Brand uh, rightly stated, has this hole and has trouble with re-entry and living in reality. So just like uh, John the Baptist uh, converts, people he baptized in Jesus, we are called to re-enter, to go back into our communities, not to go off in some Christian commune, not to hide at our house watching Christian TV. We're, st- we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, sometimes we get this wrong as Christians because we do neither. We're not really in the world and we're not of the world. We got the second part right, but we don't want to participate in what's going on in our communities. But Jesus prayed for this but for each of us as future believers before we went to the cross. He prayed for us to be in the world, but not of the world. We have a job to do. And our uh, job as we re-enter with the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus, the Holy Spirit, descended on him during his baptism, the Holy Spirit is descended on us as believers. And we're called to be his witness. And this can be costly. This is not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Matter of fact, at times in history, Christians have been persecuted and killed for sharing this faith with others and being true to the gospel. During the Nazi regime, The evangelical church in Germany survived by sticking to an emasculated version of the gospel, where the confessional church, led by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, made a costly uh, declaration 
that Jesus was Lord even over the Fuhrer, Hitler. It cost many of them their lives. You see, it can be costly, but we're called to do it. We have the accompany of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the community of believers to go and share this message to a world that so often is hopeless. I read a blog by a guy named David Mathis, and he was talking about in the world, but not of the world. And he said this, Jesus' followers have been raised to new life and sent back into the world to free others. We have a mission, not just to exist, not to hide, but to share Christ's love, what he did in the cross, cross with everybody we meet. So how do we do this? How do we share the good news? Should we get a plane like they do in Myrtle Beach with a little flyer over the, you know, streaming off the back of it, flying over our beach saying, Jesus loves you, repent, the end is near? Well, they don't allow those kind of planes here on Hilton Head, so we can't do that, you know. But, um, but I believe John the Baptist has some things to tell us this morning. You see, in John's uh, mission, he said he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light but he came to testify about the light. We're called to testify this light as well. This is a light. This light is Jesus, and he brings hope to people. And the first thing he does is he guides people on the right path. So they're not just stumbling around in life trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. And we have a job to do, and that is not to hide our light but to show people this light that guides uh, others into a relationship with Christ. In Psalm 1, it says this, Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. And I love this last part. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. We're called to tell people about that path, to shed light on that, to tell our story, to tell how Jesus has touched our lives, just ordinary, regular, regular, everyday people that have struggles just like they do. Tell them about the guidance that we found from Christ being the light of our life. The second thing we, we do is we talk about the revealing light of Christ, how we don't have to wear a mask. We don't have to be hypocrites, that he takes us just as we are, And he transforms us to who he wants us to be. That we can be seen through the eyes of Jesus. And this is not a scary thing. Because he's in the transformation business. Another thing that John did is he smoothed the path so people could see God. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, making straight the paths of the, the way of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, back then, they didn't have great roads. There was no, you know, asphalt or pavement. And when a king came to town, they'd have to get out there and move rocks, pull weeds, smooth it out so the king would have a smooth path. Our job as believers is to make it easy so people can see Christ, to take away barriers. That means our lives matter. What we do matters. We can't be hypocrites. The way we treat others, the way we love others, it all makes a difference. We are the visible expression of the invisible God, as the Apostle Paul tells us. We have a great job to do to make it easy for people to see God. That's why in our children's ministry last week we had this night in Bethlehem 
So people from our community, outside our church, many of them maybe who don't go to church or know God, could come to a great event. They get to hear about Christ through our Joseph and Mary, who froze there for three hours, by the way. But, uh, and through the love of all the people that helped out the different booths. We see this in our small groups, our discovery class, our alpha ministry that's coming, out, coming up for people to have an opportunity to hear about Christ. Those are ways we can smooth the path. In our youth ministry, I'm getting ready to take about 30 to 40 kids skiing. Again, it's more than the ski trip. It's for opportunities for the leaders to share our faith and our lives with these kids. Finally, as bold and as courageous and uh, large this figure of John the Baptist was, he understood his place. He understood humility. As we read later in John, he said, he must become greater, I must become less. There's a surfing bumper sticker that says he, H-E, then it has that greater sign, and then it says I. He must become greater than I. And for us as believers, that needs to be a reality in our lives, that we humbly share our faith with people, that we humbly share Christ's love, not in a coercive way, not in a way to, make, to put people down, but instead to lift Christ up, to humbly tell our story, to humbly share our testimony, how Christ has changed us. So where are you on the journey? Are you trying to escape from the realities of your life? Do you have trouble re-entering after a big event? Perhaps you are feeling the emptiness that Russell Brand talked about with that hole inside of you. Well, if that's you this morning, we've got very good news. Jesus can be known. You see, when we admit that we can't do life on our own, when we put our faith and trust in him and believe and we commit ourselves, surrender ourselves to him, he has a huge plan for your life. He's the author of your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He has a big plan. When we admit, believe, and surrender our lives to him, we can find a life where we can reenter. We can live in the reality and the ups and downs in life. Second, for many of you here who have faith, my challenge for us is always, don't just stay at the main event talking about your testimony or your confirmation. We're called to re-enter into our communities and share this love with other people. Get involved not only with worship, get involved with a small group, an alpha. Go to Greg's discovery class. Use your gifts in this church and outside of this church to share the love of Christ with everybody you meet. So this is our third sermon in Advent. Kathy talked about being prepared for Christ's coming, for Christ's coming again. Greg talked about for us not to be complacent. Talked about how there's no retirement for those who are believers. That while we have breath, as of the license plate in South Carolina says, we have hope. But for us as Christians, even after we die, we have a greater hope. So we have a purpose here to not be complacent with our faith, but to share it with other people. And today I bring the third message of Advent. And that is we have a job to do as believers, to be ambassadors that bring hope to a world that so desperately needs it, to share the light of Christ that guides people, that reveals people, so they can become who they need to be by putting their faith in Christ. 
We can smooth the path so other people can see and hear about it. And we can humbly do this. As I finish praying here in just a minute, we're going to sing a song and we're about to have a baptism. My challenge for you all this morning is to really pay attention to this baptism liturgy. It talks all about this exodus that this professor talked about, Rick Watts, about John the Baptist. It talks about as our, our job as believers to help Dylan Patrick, who's about to be baptized, to grow in the love and knowledge of Christ, and that we all have a job in that to pray for him. But also for us as believers, we have a job to stay close to this main event so we can re-enter and share the love of Christ with everybody we meet. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for everyone in this room. We thank you that you re-entered our world in the person of Jesus Christ, that you walked among us, you died for us, you rose again, so we can have this real hope of eternal life. And we can not just exist, but we can live. Help us to live today and to bring your message of hope with everyone we meet. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.